Hello, everybody. Welcome back to BizPod, Behaviour Intervention Support Network's podcast. I'm your host, Sam Harris, BizNet Manager and Trainer, and once again, delighted to be joined by a very special guest, Mr. Tigger Pritchard. Hello, Tigger. Hi, everybody. Thank you. Um, Tigger, I, I guess for, from my perspective, I, I think I first heard of your name a few years back when a colleague of mine that I've worked with before, he's been on the podcast before, Andy Southwell, he came back from one of your trainings and he was raving about it. Um, the training was on autism in a PDA profile. Um, and I want to, I really want to ask you about your career and then also something in particular that you've discovered about yourself recently, but I am going to start this interview in quite probably an unusual place to start when you've got someone with so much expertise and knowledge about a particular subject, but I want to know about your name. Oh, right. You're the first <laughs> person in this format to ask that. So many people have got into Anyway, everything else but this. Okay, you need the name. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, my mum loves Winnie Gorgeous. the Pooh. So my mum loves right. Winnie the Pooh, so she's going to be very jealous I spent the morning talking to a wonderful chap called Tigger. So, so yeah, tell me about the name. Okay, many, many years ago, in the depths of gorgeous, forever sunny Cornwall, mm. I used to be a leader with the Duke Quinnibus Awards scheme. Loved it. Did my gold and then went into leadership and for about 12 years or so. Actually, more than that, I did it with the county. I did it at one of the local colleges. I loved it. And somebody gave me a little Winnie the Pooh mascot. This is back when I had hair and everything. You're going back about 25, 26, 27 years. Okay. And, and, and somebody gave me a Winnie the Pooh mascot, which I put on the back of the rucksack. And all the people I worked with went, and I didn't know who Winnie the Pooh was then. I'm so sorry. I didn't. Okay. I apologize. I kind of do now. I didn't know. Yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah, well, I had a daughter and of course we got mad on Winnie the Pooh and Tiggers and Piglet and so on. And, and everybody said, you're not like Winnie the Pooh. You're more like Tigger. And I went, who's Tigger? And they went, you're like Tigger. And it stuck. And also at the time I was a runner. I'm not anymore, but where I used to work, I used to be in the countryside and they'd see me running home on a dark winter's night with a head torch on, bouncing down the lanes. <laughs> and the two kind of stuck. And then the official story is, because it's my legal name. It's not a nickname, it's my legal name. So I was born prematurely in the mid-60s. I know, I know, I look so much younger. I, and um, the words out and mom, Thank you. And mum and dad were told I was going to die. Because um, I weighed about the same as a bag of sugar. Mm -hmm. and um, straight to an incubator. And so my birth name was Terry. I was named after a boxer in the mid-60s because apparently I kept hitting the side of the incubator with my fists. <laughs> that will to survive, yeah? So I never felt that was my birth name. Um, my family's proudly Welsh. I'm proudly Welsh. I haven't got the accent. I haven't got the name. Um, the picture it is. And it all went from there. And one day, literally, I got up and I just thought to myself, everybody calls me Tigger. Everybody calls me Tigger. And I cycled into Truro, went to a solicitors and went, can I change my name? It cost the incredible amount, I think it was something like £37, and it's legal. So that was 20 years ago, I think. Okay. Um, so you're the first person to ask. Thanks for that. So it's, it's, I, there's the history, and it's my real name, and I changed it legally, I think, over 20 years ago. I can't remember the exact date. Um, it has been one of the best things I've ever done. It gave mm. me a new identity, if I can say that as well. Um, and yeah, everybody goes, you're like a tigger and it's stuck. So I'm glad. And it is always a conversation starter, I must confess. It is always like, what's your name? What is it? But thank you. You're the first person in ages that's asked that. So well, I guess it's because it's been your name for so long. It's kind of, a, it's just a given now. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is in a way. Um, but um, 
and I'm used to it. One of the strangest things that ever happened to me is I went to work in Nepal to work in a school uh, with loads of, of awesomely interesting children. And when I arrived at the airport, it's the first I've ever been away from home. I had laminated the itinerary and put it around my neck. I was that anxious. I arrived at the airport, gave my passport over. And in beautiful English, this wonderful, awesome Nepalese individual went, oh, your parents fond of Winnie the Pooh then? And I just went, yeah, because I was so shocked. And that's my first interaction in Nepal. And I was like, wow. Um, so yeah, lots of people know Winnie the Pooh is. I just hope Disney don't find me one day. Because well, the name's copyrighted now by then. I think I think you named yourself Tigger before they bought all the rights, potentially. Well, I might check that. Yeah. That's good to know. I might check that. And you, you might get owed some money by Disney. That'd be cushy, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be great at the moment. <laughs> um you, you sort of briefly mentioned doing some work in Nepal and my ears pricked up. What what were you doing in Nepal and how long ago was that? Where um, in your career was that then? I'd, I'd recently gone freelance mm -hmm. and a friend of mine who I taught wrote to me and said, look, I, I find myself traveling the planet. I'm in Nepal. I'm going to stay here, I think, for a period of time. I'm working in a school with children who have um, a wide range of, of intellectual, intellectual differences, physical issues, so on and so forth. And she went, can you give me some advice? So I gave some advice and she said, yeah, that's no good. So she asked me some more stuff. I said some advice and she said, no, nah, that's no good. And I said, I need to be there. I, what I do is I go in and I see, I smell, I taste, I touch, I get it, yeah? Now I know why, but then I didn't. And <clears throat> she went, well, come over to Nepal then. And I went, <laughs> I'm not doing that. No way. I get stressed going on the underground in London, yeah? So the idea of flying to Nepal was a no-brainer. But then fate took over. The multiverse thought, no, you can go. And I went. And... Um, it was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It certainly transformed me. It mm. gave me a, an idea of what other cultures do with regards to, you know, um, how they look at autistic individuals and so on. And it's very different. The, the Nepalese culture is gorgeous. I went back twice. Mm. I went back just before the earthquake and just after. So literally the earthquake happened a week after I got back. And then I went back about four weeks later, did some relief work as well as still, the schools were then in shut. But I thought I want to go back and help the people I got to know. And it was one of the best things I've ever done. And mm. it taught me an awful lot. I loved it. I'm very jealous. I've I've been in my I've been doing this kind of work in exactly the same place, in exactly the same organization ever since I started. So so I'm very jealous of that. that. But I would you believe I, I said about the outdoor life, I used to climb, I used to run, all the rest of it. Now I'm afraid of heights. Who goes to the Himalayas when they're afraid of heights? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The beauty is I was like frozen, <laughs> but it was, it was a beautiful experience and I learned so much and it was, it's a, something I will always look back on. I mean, I think you can see here, but there's a, there's a Nepalese flag just hanging in the corner there and a, a top here, which is one of their hats. So it's still uh -huh. something I, I think of every day. I'd love to say, oh yeah, I recognize it, but I'm not, I was never very good at sort of geography and things like that. So, um, well, I didn't know I gone to Nepal, but it's, it, <laughs> it reminds me a lot and I like to see it. It reminds me of really good times. It's interesting what you're saying about their sort of cultural approach to autism, because I remember reading somewhere recently about uh, a Maori word for autism, which I have, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I've Googled it here. It's on my screen now. Um, I don't just know off the top of my head, but I think it looks like it's pronounced Takiwatanga. Yeah, no, I've seen that before. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. pronounce it, but yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It says, uh, my, his or her own time and space. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Or acceptance in their culture of people that just want to be more to themselves or doing their own thing or yeah. their own special interest. 
Um, what what was what's what was so nice about the Nepalese culture then? What was their kind of take on things? The culture was really the individuals there were really inviting. They are slightly different in their approach to individuals on the planet than than we are because they're they're a different culture. Mm. Um, I have to be honest and say one of the first instances I had was. Uh, you showed me your iPad earlier on. Um, a couple came up to me, and I was going to be doing some work with their son in the classroom setting. And they went, and I, what I saw was a really nice smartphone, an iPad under their arm, um, lovely sari, you know, really cool. And they said to me, oh, here's, here's so-and-so's um, box. I went, oh, thank you, thinking it was like sensory toys and stuff like that. And they went, yeah, if you sprinkle the holy water on him maybe three times during the day, it'll keep the demons at bay. Okay. And I just stood there, and I remember doing that, and I remember thinking... How can you have an iPad? How can you have an iPhone? And yet you're giving me holy water to sprinkle on your son so that he's more normal, to use that phrase, forgive me. Yeah? That threw me completely. And the only reason at that time, it's changed since a lot. At that time, the only reason that these children were at school was, was a Christian-based school. My friend was a, a racial Christian, is a racial Christian. And, it, and they were more inclusive. Otherwise, it was... So some aspects of the culture deeply shocked me, I must confess. Mm. But, you know, I've been here for 30-odd years in the different roles I've been in. I've seen things years ago that, that if we saw now would deeply shock me because we've moved yeah. on as a society and a culture as they are moving on as a society and culture as well. But um, I have a Facebook page, quick plug, the Autism Coffee Shop, yeah? That was actually set up for the people I met in Nepal. That actually set up in 2015 so I could continually share information with them oh. and educate and support. And that kind of grew from there. Uh, so that was a organic happening from that trip to Nepal as well. So it was, it was a very important time for me. It, it, it made me rethink my career to a certain degree. It made me do something globally I'd never done before. Mm. And, um, and literally the minute I came back, the quake happened and I thought I've got to go back out there. And that in itself, though I wasn't working at the school, I, I, did, I did relief work there and it, it meant an awful lot to me. I don't know if you've heard of an organisation called Shelterbox based in Cornwall. Shelterbox no, are an uh, um, awesome disaster relief agency. They send these green boxes with everything you need them to provide shelter. I got involved with Shelterbox in Cornwall because of that. And do a little bit of work for them when I can. Okay. Um, so the trip in Nepal had quite a, a quite a lot of things happen to me personally because of that trip. Really looking a lot at myself, looking at where my career was going, but also the fact that I I'd lived in Cornwall for for <laughs> all those years, all those decades, and, and Wolverhampton and bits of Wales, and it broadened my horizons. And it, but really the aspect of recognizing how other cultures looked at individuals who were new and diverse and so on was really eye-opening to me and I needed that mm. but also you know I do look back at where we were in this country 20-30 years ago mm. and as we're growing they're growing and as everybody else which is really important and like you say there have been some past horror stories really about the, the way that we try to well uh <laughs> I think what confuses me sometimes is in the past it's been lumped in with an idea of supporting someone, but some of the, yeah. the things yeah. you're talking about to support someone are the opposite of support. I would I would argue, you know, that very much so. I mean, you know, I worked in 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 care providers and in school environments early years, thirty years ago, and wow, thankfully has it changed. But at that moment in time we were doing what we thought was the bee's knees because that's what the papers kind of said. 
and the manuals kind of said, do you know what I mean? But thankfully we're learning, we're growing. And, and we look back at practice and say, actually, you know, that's not being inclusive. That's not being respectful. That's not being caring. And we've had a chance as a society in Britain on the whole to change that. Not yeah. everywhere. There's still issues where it's not happening as it should do. But on the whole, we're understanding that social model is far better than the medical model, but it's still a long, long fight, I know. Mm. So, so for me, like, you know, I always, I, I started probably just over a decade ago supporting um, children and young people mainly with autism and various different labels, conditions, differences. Um, and yeah, for me, it was an interesting one because I think I learned vocationally. So I never had that kind of overarching medical approach to, to guide mm. me. Um, and actually looking back, I'm really quite grateful because it, I would say the people that have taught me how to support or the best ways to support are the people that I worked with, you know, the, the things I learned from unfortunately getting it wrong sometimes, but actually listening to them listening watching their reactions learning from that mm. um and that there is a, a big movement you know i, I did a, a podcast with the academy guys recently and molly um yep, and they are real yeah fantastic stuff and i know you're involved with them as well yeah they are very kind to me they've taken this old fella under their wing which is <laughs> well, really really that. really nice for them i think it's probably because of the quality of what you're saying um, you. how long how long would you say that in your career um you were kind of moving towards a more um i don't know what what you would call it but in, in terms of autism i guess a, an approach that is led by autistic experience wow, what okay what we've been quick, quick overview then so i came down to call in 1987 okay uh, started duke Williams award scheme actually and part of that duke Williams award scheme is service right and i went to a local respite uh care hostel as it was called then and ran a disco with a friend I'd met would you believe oh my god it's all coming back to me now and and he went from there and I said hey I've, I've just come to call I don't know many people can I do some volunteer work here and the rest as I say is history um so I've done respite I've done early years I've worked for almost every kind of provider there is in this county and national providers as well <clears throat> I then went from care provision care management I then went into education uh, and colleges. Um, I then went into to college management and I was, I was lucky enough at one college in Cornwall to, to be able to, to say to the college, oh, you've got no provision for, for individuals that are awesome and autistic. And they went, off you go then. I went, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that, but I had the chance to build from scratch a provision at, at um, a local college, which again taught me so much. But through all of that, I was... I was growing, I was learning. So back in the early days, I was um, indoctrinated by, by very much of the literature that was out there. You know, um, I'd be lucky enough to see people like the, the early originators of the, the National Autistic Society who I went on talks with, um, people like uh, Temple Grandin when she first came over. I think saw some of her talks, I've seen her a few times. And these people I was on a journey with and growing. But at the same time, I opened a discourse. I was getting to know people who were diagnosed if I can use that term as as autistic and so on and those individuals those friends began to educate me also mm. and, I, and at some point the journey took a different stance so I wasn't just buying into if I can use that term the diagnostic manual of what autism is 
I was beginning to have people with a personal experience educate me. And funnily enough, what I found was that when I was working in that area, I felt safe. I felt accepted. I felt I belonged and I got it. And when I met people, who are awesomely autistic, I felt exactly the same. And we, 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 um, I met someone um, just before lockdown and we sat down and awesome individual, supposed to be chatting away about some stuff we'd worked together on. And before I knew it, this 20 minute coffee turned into like an hour and a half. And all we were doing was sharing stories. And this young man was um, diagnosed as awesome and autistic. And I was going, oh yeah, I do that. Oh yeah, 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 they say that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And we were just sharing stories. So for, for the latter part of my journey, I was was just thinking, God, I'm so good at what I do that I, I get it, I get it, I get it, yeah? And it wasn't that I'm so good at what I do. I am always learning and still learning. And I have to still learn. It was the fact that, and we might as well do it now, it was, it was after all those decades of working with a wide range of incredible individuals and learning and growing and going to conferences and reading books and watching stuff and so on, during lockdown, as, as you'll see on my videos, the coffee with Tigger stuff, as the, they say the penny dropped, I suddenly realized, why do I get it? Why do I go into a classroom and just go, yeah, this is why? Why do I go into environments and go, yeah, this is why? This is why it's not working. This is why it's stressful. This is why so-and-so is anxious and so on and so forth. Was because I am awesomely autistic. Now, that journey for me only started during lockdown, the first lockdown mm. uh, this summer. And that... And this is, this is what I find really funny, because we, we talked about this a little bit before, is that to me was an absolute revelation. I just thought I got it because I read stuff, because I was passionate, because um, just, it just seemed like instinct. Well, it seemed like instinct because it's me. Mm. Um, but that was a real revelation. And I'll be honest, because the, the, the videos kind of show this, it's something I'm processing still, mm. and will do for a while. Uh, transition aspect is obviously evolving part of it. And now it's completely changed my learning journey and it will have a marked effect on what I do. Um, and it's, well, I don't know, it's, it's awesome and lush. I've got to say that, haven't I? But it's also petrifying and scary all at the same time because if you want to talk about masking and so on and so forth, I have I been somebody else for all those decades? Have I looked and explored and fitted in brilliantly by adopting aspects of other people's personalities or people I see on screen and so on and so forth and not being me? So I, I'm now exploring what I do to, to, to stim. I'm now exploring, well, the next thing I'm going to explore is, you know, do I mask? God, yeah. And how much do I mask? And when do I mask? Do you know what I mean? And, and so I'm exploring things at the moment, like personal identity. When am I actually me? And I have to say, and you mentioned Academy and other individuals as well, when I decided to come out as an awesome autistic individual, everybody I'd known, going back decades, when, yeah, you know, we just thought you didn't talk about it. And I went, no, I didn't. And they went, yeah, we all knew. I spoke to someone last night and she went, I've known you for 20 years. I knew decades ago. We just thought you didn't. I went, yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, young Harry, um, you know, when we first met, I managed to, to, he presented a gorgeous conference down in Cornwall, the first PDA conference in this county. And he was like, are you autistic? And I went, no, I'm Tigger. Because that's who I am. But for whatever reasons, I'd never entertained it until lockdown. 
and lockdown for me was stressful as it was for so many people um i realized i just couldn't do certain things which i think i'd run away from for decades and now as the saying goes it all makes sense but what i have needed and loved and really needed is the validation from the autistic community they've all gone yeah and as i say so many people that have known me for decades have gone yeah and um that's meant an awful lot to me an awful lot to me indeed um and it's a journey it's fascinating scary awesome lush incredible frightening but but it's all of a sudden it's a different journey but it makes sense of why i just felt so passionately about what i did and what i do really so essentially then your career wherever you've been in lots of different roles and and um potentially lots of different organizations but your career has almost been driven by this undercurrent of understanding that actually now you have you have an understanding of why you had that why you had that yeah. empathy for that position i um, mean i was a, a great friend of mine um down in cornwall um she she would say um oh you, you need to meet this guy called tigger because you know, some people say oh, we've got this really really different difficult complex of the terms they would use individual um many people and, and she would go oh, this, this is the guy for you he just gets it straight away and um and i just just would you know you'd sit there you go into a classroom you go into a home environment you just sit and you go yeah yeah i got it oh man that that light oh that chair oh that electric thing oh god those visual images by the window oh no way yeah and i just thought i've read the books i've read the books i've read all the books that are out there I've read the odd research papers. I should know this. And yet it was so instinctual. It never occurred to me. that I just thought it was what I did in terms of reading and education. And now I look back, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, you know, I've, I think I've been hiding away from so many external stresses from a sensory viewpoint and developing so many ways of, of reducing anxieties that it's almost become unconscious. I didn't know, you know, I did a YouTube clip about a washing machine being too noisy. And I mean, wow, do you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it has been a revelation, but you know, as the saying goes, you look back and you go, oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? And it does, it does now make sense. Uh, but what, what I love and yet makes me go, wow, at the same time is that everybody else knew but me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Everybody else was like, yeah, yeah, we knew. I'm like, really? And, I, and this is going back decades. And I'm like, Oh, and what it does slightly worry me, I'm going to say this from a professional viewpoint as well, it does slightly worry me that I didn't know. Does that make sense? Because mm. I should have known, shouldn't I? Or am I, I just so good at masking? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm working on that one. When you were, so going back then, when you would go into those places and kind of just get it from the, from the young person's point of view or the kid's point of view, was it because you were going oh, I see that and see that and that could be a problem. Or was it because, oh, that is, I'm actually getting a bit stressed by that. I'm finding that difficult. I think it was a bit of both. I think um, I often say to people, that, that friend of mine in Nepal said, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, I've got to smell it and taste it and see it. And there's a, literally sometimes the first words that come out of my mouth. I can't really give this, this long distance advice. If I really want to be good at it, I need to be there. And it was like, well, come out then. Oh. Um, and I think sometimes, sometimes you can recognise, you know this, you can recognise the way somebody is moving, acting, 
behaving and you look then for what's happening around them in the environment mm. you think there, there 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 it is there it is there it is they look they move by something and they glance and move away from bright light and go great bright light got it all up hands over the ears there's a noise issue there or fidgeting in a chair but then but yeah no some of it i'll be sitting there you know i go to some rooms and I go whoa whoa i can possibly spend 10 minutes in this room maybe doing a classroom observation because i am seriously overloaded for the minute i walk in and i just thought i was I don't know. You know, I just, I, I would, I think it was, it, it's part of it is, yeah, I get it. And part of it is me. Part of it is I have sensory issues with noise. Mm. Um, uh, sometimes bright lights, smells, smells will either make me go absolutely over the moon with delight, dog's paws, or some aftershaves and some perfumes. And I am, oh, I am, can't stay in the same room. And I've had to get used to some of those smells over the years. Yeah. But some things, will make me react very strongly. And loads of other stuff from the the masking, the acting, the communication interaction and stuff. It, I said, I'm now relearning all that stuff I'd learned over uh, 20 odd years. I did terribly at school, um, didn't fit in, um, you know, loner, bullied, all that kind of jazz that so many individuals are. Um, and as I said, you know, when that penny dropped, I just look back at the rest of my life and go, yeah. So yeah, I think sometimes sometimes I, I, I sense it myself in the environment, but sometimes I just see somebody moving, mm. breathing, and I go, ah, and then you look for there it is, there it is, and you get it, yeah. So that's how I think I kind of work sometimes. It's so interesting because it, it's almost like there's a combination of because initially you're talking about observational work, which most professionals would, would have an experience. Mm. I go in, I see the child doing this, it's probably too noisy. Yeah. Um but then that I think that that bit of experience that you had is that bit about people always describe it as it's not a fancy term, but they describe it as he gets it or he, he's getting yeah. it. Um, yeah. And it's, it always baffled me a little bit because I met so many professionals in the past that, you know, not obviously good and bad of everything in this universe, but um, that seem to know it. And they'd, you know, you'd get people that could list off autistic traits, you know, may find sensory environments difficult, mm, um, mm-hmm. you know, may find social situations difficult. And, um, and yet would be asking, yeah, but why do they get, what, you know, why are they being so disruptive in class? And you're thinking, but you, you can tell me that they, but yeah, but why can't they just learn to do it differently? You know, they need to learn through. Oh, um, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I, I'm, I wear a few hats now in the in the autistic world, which I'm very grateful for. And one of the things I'm finding difficult is so many individuals, I can't think of the right way to phrase this. Um, it's a medical model. I think there's no way they put it, right? It is, isn't it? It's, I've read a book. This is what it means. You're diagnosed. There's something wrong with you. Mm. Autism is huge. You know, as you know, you've got individuals that need a huge amount of support who may be non-verbal, use alternative methods of communication, so on and so forth. So people, you know, who who do a lot of stuff, um, run businesses, so on and so forth. All those complicated differences are there. But so many people still hear the term autism, autistic, and there's got to be a penny that drops. Unconscious bias? I'd love to do one on this, I must confess. Uh, unconscious bias around the world of, of, of autistic individuals, I think, is, is huge. And mm. a lot of that unconscious bias is, and I'd say huge percentage, is medical model, medical model, medical model. 
and that's still being reinforced by some professionals I meet. Um, a little bit by the media, maybe. There's a lot going on at the moment with with music videos and stuff. Yeah, but there's, yeah, yeah, you know, there's, yes, it's, I and mean, it's, 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 it's understanding now. All of a sudden, there's so much fluidity within the autistic world and autistic culture that things are have to and are changing. Mm. Um, um, and it's, it seems. I mean, the, the, the. You've watched some of my YouTube clips, and I always get embarrassed when people have. They were never meant to be that personal. Never. Um, I I shared some things once about how I am when I get sensory overloaded, and very dear friend of mine said, you know, you just said to the whole planet that you go to a hotel room and you travel to do a conference or something and you're so overloaded, you strip naked, you walk around for half an hour, then you have a bath and you watch Netflix for a bit. And I went, did I? And she went, yeah. And I went, but sensory overload, I've had to travel a long way from Cornwall, the smells, the tastes, the sounds, I am shattered when I get to London, maybe, as I used to have old. And that's how I cope. Those are my coping mechanisms. I've got others now. But... Um, so yeah, the, the journey for me is fascinating, but I am faced very much so at this moment in time. And I want to be part of that change in my own little world. Very much so with professionals that, as you say, what's it, what's the term? Is it is it walk the walk, talk the talk? Which one is that? I always get them one way around. I would I reckon it they would talk the talk. Because then it. walking the walk involves actually listening to that person and thinking, oh, they are really, you know, that. This is the bit because I, I get the medical model thing and I definitely agree that that gets in the way with with too many negatives. But sometimes even when someone some impressions I meet, you've they've read the book, and yet when it comes to walking the walk, i.e., appreciating that person needs time and space, appreciating mm-hmm. they need to be able to do certain behaviours to feel comfortable, they don't get that bit, and they they, they try and change that and manipulate that. And, coerce the child to do something more acceptable and I just think more normal more what they perceive as normal to be and it is something that's driving me uh, at the moment because um, I do a lot of work with parents and individuals as well with another hat on and an awful lot of parents are ringing me at the moment and we're talking and they are saying you know they are saying things like oh, I've just been told by a professional there's no way my child can be autistic because they talk they've got a sense of humor and they were looking this guy in the eyes and you think this is the 21st century yeah and you think whoa please and yet it's not a one-off you're looking at a lot of parents and I'm in contact with other organizations where I live as well a lot of parents across Britain are saying that what is going on um and it's, and you're right, I can't, I look back at how I was maybe and think, did I ever, I've got, I'm going to say that, my partner's going to get me a book on, what are these called, Proverbs or something? Because I keep getting them wrong. I said one the other night and she went, no, that's not how you say it. I went, how do you say it? I, I keep saying copper, kettle, black. And she goes, no, that's not it, isn't it? Oh, okay. So I keep getting this one wrong and I apologise. But I look back at me and think, was I ever like that? Did I ever read, read it and then never apply it? And I don't think, well, I was lucky enough because I couldn't. Because I instinctively, beautifully, neurodivergently got it. Because thankfully I can. Mm. But um, but there has to be a change. There, and there is a change is starting with autistic voices across the globe and awesome professionals that do get it. Um, and it's got to change. There, there's so many people, parents, families, individuals in, in anxiety who are suffering 
because people are dictating normality and dictating a medical model of what being autistic is. And, and it's, it is something at the moment which is really driving me passionately, but also hurting me as well, because it's like, I, I did a YouTube clip um, the other day about, which is on Academy, which was about the a first a professional saying to me, no, you're not, you're not autistic. Okay. And yeah, and that really threw me because you're going to self doubt. What was their capacity for that though? Like, what? Why did they? Oh. Were they trained in diagnostics? Are they? Were they giving you a diagnostic yes. test? Well, they they sh they should know their stuff. They should have read the books. They have read the books. I'm going to be after careful right. here. I think so. They should be in a position to know. And the fact they challenged me straight away was I suddenly felt like they'd boxed me as, excuse me, they'd boxed me as, you can't be autistic because, and that because was laden in negativity before the because even came out. Does that make sense? Mm. It was, no, you can't be autistic because, just like eye contact, sense of humour, empathy, all the rest of it. And it was like, but you should know this. And I think what threw me was not the fact that I was challenged, what threw me was the negativity that came with that challenge. The, um, how can I say this? Um, oh, you're disabled. I don't want to get too much into that term because it's a complex one as well, but it was, you are boxed, there's something wrong with you. If you're autistic, then there's something wrong with you. If you're autistic, then you're not right. If you're autistic, you're not normal. It was all negative. That's what threw me, I think, on reflection. I've been reflecting a lot about it recently. And I was like, um, and that was a real eye-opener, I think. Mm. So I'm still working on that one. I'm processing it. But I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's changing the way some professionals think is desperately important. It's, you know, and, and, and then from that, you know, I... <clears throat> again i meet and listen to parents where they say I've, i you know i think my son or daughter is awesomely autistic i've just been on a course and the course are telling me that it's mostly my parenting skills do you know what i mean and it's like well actually hang on a second i know i can see you doing this and it's how i feel as well it's like oh you know <laughs> so i know i know i know um there's too much of that around at the moment but it is changing, but it has to change. It has to change for individuals, for their families, for their parents, for their loved ones. It has to change. And, and there's a lot of people out there fighting for that and doing stuff, which is gorgeous. Good, it's going to be a lot of hard work, I think. Yeah, unfortunately so. I mean, I just, it was that, that the one that resonated for me there was, was, was the parenting skills thing. Cause I, most, the bulk of my work over the last sort of five years at least has been with parents. And honestly, the, the, the volume of parents that I meet that have at some point in their journey before their child was diagnosed, been told it's poor parenting, been made to feel judged. Mm. I mean, just where are these things coming from? And why the... I'm going to swear because it's my podcast, so I can't. Why the, <laughs> does anyone think that's helpful? Because I, oh. again, I, I, it was an interesting one for me, not nowhere near as much as, as sort of a connection as you, but I worked with um, parents for a long time before I was even a parent. So there's oh, me yeah, giving yeah, 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 yeah. to parents and I'm thinking, you know, almost like, how am I going to do this? But actually it was really easy because 
I looked at parenting, just parenting in general, hmm. looked like hard work, looked like bloody hard work. I, I'm now fortunate enough to have a little boy. Um, he's sort of 11 months old. And I was right. It's bloody hard work. So yeah, I remember my know, awesome we, one is almost 22 and it's just, fantastic. it is the best thing ever. But it, it is, is really hard work so, as well. And, but there's no blueprint as well. So I, I used to think to myself, if I, if I saw a parent in a shop with a, a child, even with no known difference, you know, I don't want to, I hate the word. I don't think there's any such thing as bloody normal anyway. But if you want no. to think of it as neurotypical, and they're having a meltdown. And the parents doing everything. And again, I'll use my little quote marks, which you won't be able to see on the podcast. Wrong, because there's no such thing as wrong either. I don't mm. think there's there's something that might need changing to do the same. Well, maybe there is such a thing as wrong. Maybe if if you're deliberately <clears throat> doing something that's hurtful and you know it is, that's wrong. But my point is with parenting, like if, if that parent knew the exact right thing to do to make things easier and better long term, they bloody do it. They're just yeah. they're trying to figure it out. So judgment at any point in that cycle is about as helpful as a condom with a hole in it. It's not helpful. It doesn't help anyone, you know? No, not at all. It's, it's why, no feeling of judgment. When did anyone ever go, oh, I feel judged? I better sort that out. What, what, what is it you're saying then? I'll, I'll really listen to you because you're judging me. I mean, there was a, I can't remember the person's name. It's on one of my slides, but it was somebody that coined that either from a study, as in bad parenting, you know, refrigerator mother, that kind of stuff, yeah? Yes. Um, and it stuck. And to still have people, um, it's for a lot of, forgive me, professionals, mm-hmm. not all professionals. I know some professionals that are like absolutely lush, right? Yeah. But for, I was pointing at you, and for... <laughs> For some professionals to still be in the whole mindset to be with that medical model, to be with that there's something wrong with your parenting skills Mm. is, again, just something I can't quite understand. We're supposed to be progressive. We're supposed to be developing as a society and a civilization. We've got all this Internet-based stuff where we can look and learn. There's a lot of clutter out there as well, but there's some really amazing stuff out there too. And yet we still have a large group of professionals who are so antiquated in their views that it does frighten me. But mm. the pain it gives individuals who are also autistic and the pain it gives their families is immense and is real. And I just, with all the information out there, all the great books, podcasts, everything mm. else, people, I'm at a loss why some professionals don't seem to have the capacity to grow. I've had to have the capacity to grow. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have the capacity to grow, to learn, uh, to be challenged by families or some autistic individuals to grow and learn and to learn more about myself and to realise things. Um, and I've been lucky to have a lot of people help me along the way and support me along the way. Um, but for some professionals, I, I find it gobsmacking that they they don't seem to want to... They're stuck on one... It's a medical model. That's all, that's all I can say at the moment. It's, it's a lot at the moment. Is me saying to people, yeah, yeah, this is what he or she's coming from, is that model. It's wrong. I'm sorry. Um, and I'm sorry you're going through pain because of it for so many people I speak to at the moment. But I am also positive. I have to be. And I also know that so much is happening and there are pockets of excellence in every county and every part of the world as well where people are changing. And that, I think, is, is really important and really gorgeous to see. Definitely. And the internet is one of those things that gets a lot of flack 
nowadays mm. for all its evils and all its, you know, um, sins and things that corruption points of corruption. But I would say that's had a big involvement in that because it's given a voice to a, a community of people that perhaps are not not on the whole. Again, it's a generalisation which I don't like making, but that feel perhaps might find it easier to express themselves online than they would in a group in a room full yeah. of people. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd said that Yeah, uh, to you earlier on. Um, I now am in contact with a beautiful, supportive, empowering, listening, autistic community across the globe, mm. which I didn't know about. Well, I did know about, but it wasn't part of who I am a year ago. Mm. I've had chats with people in several different continents. We've got in touch because of things I've either done or, or we've just contacted each other. And that's, 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 that's brilliant. That's fascinating to me. Mm. And that's where, you know, I'm, I'm questioning, there's a masking video coming up, so I don't want to go too much into masking. Oh. Um, but there's, there's, that's where I'm, I'm questioning, who am I? I mean, like I said, I changed my name three years ago and reinvented myself physically mm. and almost from a personality viewpoint. And it worked. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the debates I'm getting into online and how I'm learning online is gorgeous. You mentioned about changing your identity. And I, when you talk about your, your kind of um, self-realisation, you mentioned autism, but I, I don't think I've heard you mention autism with a PDA profile. Is that because you don't think you would fit that, that part of the spectrum as much or you just don't like using that term or because it's only because what made me think of it was Harry said to me once, I think I got his name wrong. First time I ever did a podcast with him, I called him Barry. And oh. <laughs> he, he laughed and said, thank you. He said, sometimes um, I, I ask people to call me different names. It helps. Um, That's an I interesting one. Reinvention. I don't know if that was. I mean, the, the, the PDA part of my life happened because I, um, where I worked college, Mm. Um, got in touch somebody had won a, a court case about being out of education and it was we need to find someone in Cornwall that can work with this individual um, my college went we got somebody because nobody else would and I was like yeah okay and I worked with this guy he was my first PDA and my, one of my greatest teachers mm. and I met him and in two days of meeting him, it all went pear-shaped because all I had in my head was autism. I used all those demand-laden approaches and it went boom, big time. And I actually rang up the centre in Nottingham. And you know what? This It was so long ago, they sent me stuff in the post. Right. <laughs> That's how long ago it is. They sent me stuff in the post, yeah? Carry PDA. Because I, I think I went online and, and all I came up with was why the personal digital assistant, <laughs> those little HP machines, or it was public displays of reflection. There was nothing yeah. else on there. Um, and that young man and lots of others that followed beautifully, gorgeously educated me about the world of PDA. And it's a world that I've learned an awful lot from. It's a world I embrace and I'm still being educated by Harry and awesome other PDAs as well. Gorgeously so. I love it. And, um, and their families and so on. So many people that are doing great blogs and so forth. So many great PDAs doing stuff on the internet and on Facebook and stuff. Um, it's interesting because those very close to me might say that this is an interesting one and I don't know, but no, I just think I'm, I'm awesomely autistic. Um, I am really good at demands. I think 
which is redirecting, negotiating. And you might think, well, hang on a minute. But that's an area I haven't gone down yet. So my, 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 my passion for PDA comes from great teachers and great friends and great families that I've met and I've worked with along the way. I mean, this must be going back 20 years. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'll have to ask him. And um, it could be 20 years. Wow. Um, and as I say, I got sent stuff in the post. And that, that I, I'd say that sometimes at talks and conferences or on Zoom now. And, and people go, really? Yeah, there, it, there was nothing on the internet. And the people at the PDA Society, who are awesome, um, as well, with all the, I mean, their website is incredible. Um, they're the places I go for education to learn, to retune, to rethink. So no, at the moment I am I am bravely more and more um, waving the banner of 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 accepting, realizing, and embracing that awesome autistic. But it's even even saying it now, there are butterflies in my tummy. And why is that? There are butterflies in my tummy, and that's something I'm exploring as well. But um, but I do have a passion for PDA, it has to be said, I must <laughs> confess. Mostly, again, because it's there. It's gorgeous. It's huge. And sometimes I use the word gorgeous in... in I was working with a family the other day, very, 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 very common situation. I went, oh, this is gorgeous. And I stopped and went, I'm sorry, I don't mean to belittle the situation you're in at the moment. I just get a bit passionate and I go. And they went, no, no, we've been told about you. I went, okay, sorry. It's not meant to belittle any situation that he's going through stress-wise, anxiety-wise, and so on. I just get, oh. But um, it, it is something I'm extremely passionate about because, again, so many professionals I meet put the hand up, put the big wall up and go, no. And so many individuals I meet there are going, it really is parental skills this time, big time. And I'm going, no, it's really? not. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and that is something that I'm extremely adamant that has to change. And I point people to Harry and others and Academy and the PDA Society and so on because they are gorgeous and all those other people that are doing great books and the parents that are doing the blogs on Facebook that I know well and stuff. And, and no, that has to change. I am fed up of people because it's not in the manual, in the manuals. I am fed up of people just going, no, 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 it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist at all. This really is bad parenting. And I've heard that as recent as three days ago. The professional said to a parent, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, I, I, this is really getting to me. So yeah, there's a slight passion there about PDA as well, I must confess. Send. No, I, would, I would agree. I, I, we've got so many things that, that I think we, we share, apart from obviously your lockdown revelation, which I don't think I can share at all. Um, and although interestingly, I've, I've had conversations with Harry and the Academy guys. Of, I think they diagnosed me as a yellow and green circle, which <laughs> I don't know what that means, especially. <laughs> um, but I certainly, similar, did not do well at school. I, I was yeah. the sort of noisy impulsive uh had to like make everyone laugh be the center of attention but yep. concentrate on anything it's so, my best yeah um, yeah so but just going back slightly with the the parenting thing i think so interesting with pda because i although it's obviously it's not i totally agree it's so wrong to even suggest it's down to parenting but you, when I work with parents, I'm trying to help them make changes. Mm. They're kind of saying, well, hang on, you said it's not parenting, but I've got to make changes. But I actually feel like sometimes society's expectations of what parenting is yes. 
what's made them do the parenting that's not been helpful. And actually, some parents still manage just with all their strength and will to actually say, again, I'm going to swear, fuck off everyone else. I'm going to be conscious in the moment of what my child needs. And they figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And well, that's- the, the, the constraints paced upon this normality thing. Yeah. I'll do what you did then as well. Right. This normality <laughs> thing is, is, oh, does it get in the way? So look at home life, for example. The expectation level is for a lot of individuals that we sit at the table, and we have an evening meal. Look at the demand there. Look at the pressure there. How you eat, how you see it, how you're the knife and fork, how things are on your plate, what food you eat first, um, when it starts, when it finishes, what you drink, and, and it goes on, 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 yeah? The tables are demand, the chairs are demand, the times are demand, the, what your food is to demand, the expectation of the finishing demand, it goes on, 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 on. Mm. And so many families I've worked with, I will often say to them, you know, really? Mm. You know, really? Does it? Is this is this is this really what's important during your day's activities? And for so many people, because they've been culturally brought up, it's so difficult to shift. Mm. But so many do. So many realise that, you know, part of the issue, like like, like from an autistic viewpoint, environmental, yeah, part of and sensory based and so on. Part of the issue is the cultural expectation levels of of our society. And one of the questions, one of the things I get, I did a, a PDA. Um, a session on, on Saturday for some families at country, some awesome individuals. And one of the examples I gave was about a parent getting in touch with me and saying, my son won't sleep and it's becoming a real problem. And he won't go to bed, he won't go in his bedroom. And she had lots of other people in and I just looked straight away and I thought, look, this is going to sound really funny. I said, don't ever call it a bedroom. Get rid of the bed. Get rid of the quilt. And she went, but you said, oh, well, please trust me on this. Yeah, all I can hear is this at the moment. All I can hear is bed, 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 bed. The whole room, the doorway. She even had on so-and-so's bedroom sign on the door. Get rid of it all. Mm. Her whole cultural approach was, this is where he's got to sleep, where he's got to be. This is his bedroom. So forget all of that. Drop the language. It's just his place, whatever he wants to call it. And several weeks later, she went, yeah, he's sleeping. He's sleeping on the floor and he wraps his thing around him, but he's sleeping. And she did say, God, I wish he could sleep in the bed. I said, but he's fine. He's sleeping. I personally, um, for a lot of my adult life, have slept on the floor and found it a lot more comfortable. You think I would have known, eh? Um, I've only in the past year brought my, year, two years, two and a half years, brought my first bed, mm. which I believe I had a sofa bed, didn't like it. I'd use the floor. Go to bed now. Sometimes use the floor, but use a bed now. So I'm getting old. Um, but it was just that the cultural expectation was you've got to sit at the table. You've got to go in the bedroom. And sometimes I say to parents I'm working with, look at the demand, the indirect demands around that, the visual demands around it, the smell demands around it. Mm. Get rid of it all. And I, and I was taught that by great people I worked with. That's, that's so that's interesting. I had a family I worked recently where similar thing, and I wish I'd thought of that idea now. That's a much better idea. But, you know, it was... Uh, I can't get him to sleep in his bedroom. And I sort of asked a couple of questions I normally ask, like, is there any t- any exceptions, you know? Um, and so, well, he'll, he'll fall asleep in the living room. And if I let him stay there, he'd probably sleep all night. Well, do you want him to have some sleep? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. it's better. <laughs> so we did that. Uh, and it, yeah. You know, but uh, Another question yeah. was somebody saying, "My, you know, she's on an iPad. She said to me, I need the iPad to fall asleep. And I went, I have a, beautiful partner 
And yet she knows that when I go to bed at night, I either put these in, these are much more comfortable to sleep on. I need to listen to something. Now, at first she was like, you know, I said, I need to listen to the spoken word, not music, the spoken word. So if I don't have something in my ears, I can't stop thinking. If I can't yes. stop thinking, I don't sleep. If I don't mm. sleep, I'm in trouble. Mm. So I realise now that I have these. And if I forget them, I'm stressed. I've got backups now, hidden, headphones hidden as backups. Oh, my God, she's going to find out. And, <laughs> um, and so when she said, you know, the iPad thing, I said, yeah, let her use it. Because it's, it's it. She will sleep because of that, and it, it is learning this, isn't it? You know, it's it's. Do you know what though? Yeah. It is learning it, but I think we have to learn it now because I was just thinking of you know that parent you worked with. So let's say that in a world where there's no expectations of society or blah blah blah, that parent instinctively does what you said, and they, and they let their child sleep in a room that's not their bedroom. It's just a room on the floor under a blanket. And let's say a health visitor comes around or someone yeah. from social services and they see the child, what are you doing? Why hasn't he got a bed? Oh, he doesn't like yeah. bed. That's neglectful. So, yeah. And I get, like, obviously I understand the, the down, you know, the, the dangers of not having a safeguarding system are, are so mm -hmm. awful. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. bear thinking about it. Look at all the panorama specials that have been on and so on. Yeah, there's to reinforce that things still need to change. But I do think there's an element of that that is making parents under a lot of pressure to conform yeah. to whatever the medical model of child development should be, your, i.e. your child should be sleeping in a bed at the age of whatever it is. And yeah. I'm really experiencing that, that now with Arthur, with my little boy, because it's kind of, I'm always questioning, like, am I being, am I doing this because I think I should be? Yeah. Or because actually it's better for him? And, and one thing I'm noticing is that actually, if you just tune into the child, if you tune into the person, if they're too stressed, you back off. You don't do it. You don't push it. If they're able to do it. And you, so like, I think that's where parents sometimes, I, when I'm working with them, I'm trying to get them to, to relearn how to forget everything and just be in tune with that child and understand yeah. that, yes, I can, <clears throat> I can push them a little bit, if they need to learn something for their own benefit long term, but if they show mm. signs of real distress, I need to back off because me pushing is not. You do, yeah. It's 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 so complicated. The the power of society, the power of culture. This is why it's interesting to see how other cultures look at, you know, neurodivergent individuals, um, which is something I'd like to do more of. But it, it's that power of the cultural British. Shall I say that? Expectation levels of how you must live are devastating. From from home life to going around shops to <clears throat> to school or whatever. And, and I mean, I, I, the stimming aspect, stimming interests me a lot at the moment because I've realised I do tons. Um, didn't I? Just thought it was me, but I do tons. Yay! Hello. Oh, you got blue tack. Always Look, free. sorry, don't. I'll go on tangents. Hang on. <laughs> sorry. <coughs> Right now, I now have to stop the interest. I now have to be, because I just want to go off tangents and ask people else, because I'm, I'm doing this at the moment because my boot taxing in the room. And the Velcro thing I did have has gone off, so I was doing some Christmas decorations with it. So I found this to squeeze mm -hmm. and, and to play with. So my apologies. And my baby Yoda's in the other room as well, or the child. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, those, those, those expectation levels are huge. And from a, from a stimming viewpoint, 
you know, um, I've watched lots of stuff, individuals, YouTubes, what they say about steaming as well. Some steams are culturally and society-based acceptable and some are not. <clears throat> um, I remember, um, again, my partner saying to me, I whistle. And sometimes I like to believe I'm R2-D2. I'm old, okay? So I pretend I'm R2-D2. And she went, right, yeah, actually, you should be very careful of that because somebody might think you're, you're whistling and, and being rude with maybe like a wolf whistle type thing and so on. And I went, no, I'm not. I'm being R2-D2. And this is before I had that beautiful insight of who I am, yeah? <clears throat> I just thought, this is what I do. I like to be R2-D2 sometimes. It's fun, yeah? Mm. And, um, you know, and I'm off, yeah? Uh, I know all these lines from movies. And um, and you suddenly think, and oh, no, I'm sorry, and you think what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable, the cultural pressure upon families, individuals is huge. The cultural pressure, if you've got somebody, a professional, I've done your bit again, uh, coming into the room <clears throat> and saying, where's their bed? What they're doing on the floor? As a parent, your anxiety levels go boom. Because mm. somebody's judging you, but they are judging you because they don't have enough training. They don't have enough information. They don't have enough insight. That's what's got to change. Mm. Um, I was working with a family a couple of years ago where literally I got a phone call saying the police are here because the person has been to school. The person is in a high state of distress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking, what is going on? The, a lot of police are awesome. I've done some work with police and call their fab. And it's just, you know, you just think, the situation is going to go boom because of the pressure all of a sudden towards that individual in the family because some officers get the autistic world, some don't, just as some doctors do, some people from CAMS do, some do, some don't, and so on and so forth. And so for me, you know, I've... I mean, you look at teacher training in schools, how much input do teacher trainers get about neurodivergent individuals? When you look at the percentage of how many individuals are going to be in that classroom... Yeah. Teachers are already off to a huge amount of pressure, especially at the moment. I think they do. Um, a lot of my friends at uni were, did teacher training or PGCEs, and they did, I think they did one module on disability. Yeah. You look at, you look at the percentage in the classroom. Yeah. I mean, um, I did one work for one university upcountry, and I realised that I was that teacher training's input for two and a half hours, that was their whole input on autism. And I was like, you know, and I, and I just went, you know, even, even the, you know, even, you know, some people quote one in 100. It's, I think, vastly different to that if you do it globally as well and so on. And you just think you can have a lot of neurodivergent, awesome individuals in your classroom and yet you've got no preparation for this. Mm. Wow. No wonder a lot of teachers teach for a small number of years and leave because the stress is going to be huge. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, because again, looking back, it makes me think of, of why I was able to. I'd never, I never, I don't think I ever got it in the same way that you're talking about. Because I, I wouldn't go into that room and think, oh, that's difficult. But I would always believe the person, and I would always believe mm. what they were showing me or telling me. Or, um, and I was very lucky at Cedar where I worked because we just had over the course of the sort of my first five years, we just had a huge amount of very different young people with autism mm. because they all are very different. So yeah, it's almost yeah, yeah. like rather than doing a training course on autism, perhaps your first port of call as a professional should be 
you spend six months to a year working with as many different individuals as you can, rather than reading this medical model that kind of. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. Um, um, Chloe mentions about the fact that you are diagnosed by a professional when perhaps things are at their most complex. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and you are diagnosed with you cannot do, you cannot do, you cannot yeah. do. Why aren't people diagnosed with, wow, you can do, and you can do, and you can do. And that's where the subtle, they are literally subtle changes. Can make a huge amount of difference. But again, you know, you've got that, I forget who it is that uses this term. I think it's Luke Braden, is it? And it's the bit about predominant neural type, which I quite like. Cool. You have the predominant neural type dictating, dictating um, to a community. Um, to a neurology about what, you know, how you should be, how you should think, how you should do, how you should fit in society, and so on and so forth. And until that predominant neural type accepts and listens to and learns from, God, listen to me, and learns from the voices of eminent professionals who are awesomely autistic, neurodivergent, then we're never going to progress. <clears throat> out of this it's a parent's fault or you can't be autistic because you've got eye contact you can't be autistic because you, you, you've got empathy all that kind of stuff um but i do feel as an optimist that, that things are changing only because the the voice some autistic voices are getting very loud and at last being listened to and, and lots of professionalizations i work with are open I, mean, I, I can remember look, even the voices of parents. I can remember working with somebody years ago and saying, you know, I've been brought in an uh, amazing son living in this establishment. And I, they said, can you design some training to help the staff interact, communicate, etc., and, you know, reduce his anxiety and so on and so forth. And I said, great. Yeah. And I approached his organization. I went, great. For the first part of the training, I'm going to have like mom and dad there. And they went, why? And I went, because they're this person's parents and they actually know more about him than I do. And they're like, oh yeah, we don't do that. And I'm thinking, what? They went, yeah, we yeah. don't, we don't really get parents in. And I went, but they're his parents. Yeah, they've known him since birth. I haven't. And we've, you know, lots of discourse, phone calls, whatnot. But I want them there as part of the course so they can impart their knowledge. Mm. And even that, sometimes I think, why is there such? I, I years ago, and they lived in Exeter. Two parents that gorgeously, gorgeously educated me. And you were talking about fatherhood early on. This was pre my daughter being born, my awesome daughter. And they turned around to me in a meeting once and they said, are you a parent? They were fighting for the rights of their son. Awesomely so. I mean, awesomely so. This is going back a long time. And I went, um, no. And they went, great, come back to us when you are. And they left the meeting. I remember looking at the person I was with going, what's going on there? And literally a year and a half later, we met again. And I was like, hi. And she went, oh, congratulations. They bought me presents on. She just looked at me. She went, do you get it? And I went, God, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. It's interesting, isn't it? You, you need that, that internal experience. But also, as you said, to your professionals, live, smell, taste, get it. Don't just read it out of a book. If you read it out of the book, you are missing the whole point. Listen to awesome individuals. Yeah. You're divergent, autistic. So listen to their voices and learn from their voices. Yeah. And... And as I'm, and I'm sure you know, sometimes when you put things in place, everybody benefits from it. Mm. It's not just for one person; the whole family can, a whole, you know, college can, or or or, or environment can benefit and actually 
you know, things change for the better for everybody involved, not just for one person. It's that bigger picture, yeah? I do think, I, I totally agree with you, we're in a positive place. People are talking a lot more. But I mm. worry sometimes that the cultural thing now is that people shout loudly and nothing happens. And I I just think that they need, in terms of, like, clarity about what, and, you know, who am I to push a movement that I'm not technically part of because I don't have that neurotype, but... I think we should be demanding someone with autism who is at the front of, if not in charge of, how services to autism are delivered by the by social services. If someone, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. The first strings with the ideas because it's just they're so far away from that. I would say. I used to. This is this is really crappy. But I used to do it at one of my sessions. I delivered on you know, accepting, understanding autism and so forth was I'd stop the slideshow, the PowerPoint. I live on PowerPoint sometimes. I go, oh, by the way, also today's, you know, session is about what it's like to be a woman. And I'd stand there and I go, right, you know, this is what it's like to be a woman. I'll put a slider for a generic picture. And I'll start talking through stuff and people would just be looking at me. And I'd <laughs> wait for someone to go, to give me a really hard stare. And I go, yeah. And he or she would go, um, don't really get what's going on, but the first thing that comes to mind is, how can you teach me about being a woman when you're not? And I used to go, do you get it? Mm. And I used to be saying then, you need to be listening also to the voices of awesome autistic individuals, not realising that was me too. Mm. Um, my awesome is small, I'm working on it. And um, <clears throat> and there's so many great individuals out there. And, and I, I work with a local charity at the moment and I'm making it very clear that part of that charity in the autistic world has to be made up of individuals that are awesomely autistic. I've just written to um, some, some areas in, in the county I'm in to say to them, you're making decisions for individuals and families who are autistic, and yet the percentage of individuals on your board is actually really small. Can you change that? And can we work with you to change that? Because that's what it should be like. And you're right, you're totally right. And I think that um, any environment the only person, and I've got so much to learn, I've got so much to learn. The only people that can, that can educate me about the autistic experience are the beautiful individuals I'm meeting online. Can't wait till I can meet face to face, but meeting them online, some of them are in other countries that are sharing stuff with me and, and educate me and help me to grow. And I'm reading stuff and learning, but also, you know, and that's, that's, that's how it should be. You, you can't, I love reading the books. I love reading research projects. I love going online and researching stuff. But if you're going to really make change, you are so, 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 so right in saying, you know, it's, you can't, you can't make that change unless you, I have to say, get it, smell it, taste it, feel it, hear it, know it. Um, you can have great people alongside you with skills and strengths and so on, a wide variety of, of skill base and, and so forth. But at the end of the day, if you don't get it, if you don't get it and breathe it, then you, you know you shouldn't be in that position so and i think that advocates need support and empowerment and enablement and people alongside to help the change happen mm. but i think you're very right at the end of the day you've got to have an authentic voice and i now realize that that authentic voice has to be autistic has to be neurodivergent otherwise it's just not true, is it? I'm on a long journey here. I've got a lot, I've got a lot to learn and relearn. But okay. no, I really agree with that. That point of um, 
realization for you over lockdown? I'm jumping back now just to because kind of, I, I, so I wanted to ask you more about that. Yeah, yeah. Was it? I mean, apparently for everyone else, it was a hang on. This is always we've always known this, but for you personally, was it like a particular moment where something happened, or was it a a general building of realization, or did you literally wake up one day and think, hang on? I, I had to move in with my partner and her family, mm-hmm. and I sat there. I, I'm a geek. I'd, I'd watched um, that. I'd watched Contagion like two months before, in preparation for what was happening. I read stuff, and lots of my friends go, "That's enough, lad. We don't want to know anymore. Really, fine. It might not be that bad. Just shut up." And I'm like, "Oh, but it's really interesting because I'm that bad, yeah." And one of the first things I did was I looked at my my partner and I went, "Can I get noise dampeners for the cupboards, please?" I was panicking internally. I couldn't understand why. Can we go to a local hardware store? I'll buy them. I'll fit them. Please, I beg of you. It's an open plan house. Mm. And for the kitchen cupboards, I had to put dampeners on. And something I think, I know it sounds really funny, but something happened with that. And I think I suddenly related it to somewhere where I'd worked. Mm. And I went, oh, that's what I do for so-and-so. Because I could see how it was with the cupboard doors. And it just, and then after that, I have to say it was social interaction expectation levels and I suddenly realized I didn't fit 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 I didn't know how to put that pop so I didn't fit and I found myself always going into the back garden always going to the outdoors taking myself away I found myself incredibly stressed and anxious I was doing my 10,000 steps every day Mm. there's a beautiful dog I took out every day there's two dogs there one of my videos is about Mrs. Pebbles, one of the dogs. And this one day, this dog just literally went to the back of the cage and stood there going, not under the 10,000 steps, mate, please. I can't, I can't do another day of 10,000 steps, please. And I was like, oh, but I must do 10,000 steps a day. I've got to. If I, did my t- I had to do my 10,000 steps. And, and, I was, and I think all of that made me think routine, noise, sensory. And I think all of a sudden, I, I was in the, I, I've got a video about this. I was in the back garden. I've seen that one. And I sat there and I thought, have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, I feel it. I just, people watch them. I get so embarrassed when people say they watch them. Oh, sorry. I won't say any more then. I'll just That's all right. Thank you. And um, <laughs> I saw it, but I'm very forgetful. So I, I thank remember you. being Good. in the garden. So Good. And I just, I think, watched a train go by. Uh, and I think the train was empty, of course. It was locked down. And I just stood there and I thought, and it literally was. And I felt a mixture of excitement and feeling really sick. I'm feeling really scared. An awful lot of, but that explains everything. Mm. And the first step was huge. I did, you know, I've discussed it. I have discussed it over the years and dismissed it and gone, nah, blah, 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 nah. I've discussed it with old friends and they've gone, mm, nah. What, what another great friend of mine said, um, you're amazing. You're one of the best actors I've ever met. And now I realise what he meant by that. Yeah, mm. I didn't at the time. I was thinking, hmm. Now I look back at that and I go, Ah, okay, right. Does this what he meant? Mm. And um, but no, it was it was it was a, it was a, an internalized revelation. I'm still processing, still coping with. Okay. Um, to the extent where there are still some people I haven't told. I am doing it like this. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it on my Facebook page. I'm doing it in Instagram. All these kind of things. But when it comes to face to face with some people. I'm still at that point where I'm thinking I can't say it and I can't say it because now I've realised that their interpretation of model, uh, uh, their interpretation of autism is completely, it is a medical model. 
It's not what I understand autistic to be. Their understanding of what autistic is, is something completely different. It could be Rain Man. It could be Sherlock Holmes. It could be, oh, you poor thing. But their, their model is, is really medical. And that's, like I said, with that person saying to me, oh, you can't be. The whole perspective was, but if you are, that means there's something wrong with you. And I was like, whoa, hang on a second. Um, I'm glad you saw the video. And thank you for watching it. But um, it, it is something that I'm still, if I'm honest about, I'm still processing. I'm still, and that's where I've thrown myself in the autism community globally because they're helping me, they're educating me. And um, I have a certificate. I won't say from, but I have a certificate and one of the most awesome moments in my life was somebody saying to me, oh, yes, you are. And they sent me a certificate. And I just, I can't, blah, blah, I can't tell you what that meant. And then the validation for people that have known me for decades has been has been incredibly wonderful, um, and it's meant an awful lot to me. So you, I'm I'm guessing that you're. It's unlikely that you're going to even pursue a, a medical diagnosis because oh, we got half an hour. Um, oh, I'm, I'm not going why, anywhere. I guess so. <laughs> why? Why should this? I did this the other night, and I'm so sorry. Again, okay. predominant neural type. Somebody who doesn't understand the experience, somebody who has their knowledge of autism and autistic experience from a manual that's that's medically biased. How can they diagnose who I am? I remember reading several years ago, was it The Guardian said there was a blood test because of, of, of base types or whatever. Um, so they thought there'd be a blood test for autism. There was a huge debate about then about what if I've been diagnosed by a professional and the blood test says I'm not. Mm. tick box all the rest of it at this moment in time i'm of the stance that why would i go and see a professional um who has all that background bias unconsciously so on occasions hey if you want to do a, a research project i'd really be interested in unconscious bias with regard to to that word autism and what people then think yeah and how then their their interactions with people are are you know changed and and, and so on and so forth but so, no, at this moment in time, and I'm, you can see I'm, I'm really animated and I'm kind of fired up about this. Mm. Why, why, why should somebody who doesn't get my brain, who doesn't get my neurotype, I've seen the professionals, I've spoken to the professionals, and that is the autistic community. Mm. And those professionals, Harry put something on Academy the other day, which I think was a bit contentious, you know what Harry's like. And, um, and it was something along those lines. It was, who do you consider the real experts? I've met them virtually at the moment, sadly. There's some face to face that I know around you know, here, but they have those and friends and people that are open and brilliant have validated my understanding of my, my true identity. And those at the moment are my professionals. There are some great people out there that are professionals as well in the field. They're going, oh God, yeah, we knew for years, Tigger. But it, it's something that I'm, I'm processing. I'm processing them a lot, as there are so many other things. It's cut. I mean, firstly, I I would wonder if one reason, and I don't. I'm not. I'm with you. I'm not trying to convince you. I think you do whatever you feel is is right for you. But maybe it would be to just prove that the medical model is potentially flawed. Maybe you could get a group of people to do that. Um, but it's something I've. <sighs> I mean, you know, when it's a child, you're going to get support at school. 
Um, yeah. You yeah. know, all that kind of stuff, yeah, which is extremely important. Because sometimes as a family, people are struggling because nobody will believe what mm. is happening in reality. PDA-based, you know, autistic-based, so on and so forth, yeah? And before you get that, uh, then nothing happens from a support viewpoint and families and individuals desperately need that. But um, I think what it means to be autistic is on the cusp of a massive, massive change. Yes, definitely. And I wish I was a bit younger, actually. <laughs> but um, I think it's on, on the cusp of a massive change. Society in Britain and globally are beginning to realise that there's a lot of stuff that's out of date. Mm. Even, even with media, you know, the representations in media, like, there's some good things, there's some bad things. Mm. Um, but that, that has to change and I think is changing. Um, and and I, may, I may turn around in a year's time and go, actually, I'm going for a diagnosis, bye. Mm. Um, or I may not. It's that fluid at the moment for me as well, I think it is for the planet. But um, no, everything at the moment has made me think I would, every core of my, my, my body, my neurology would sit there going, I don't agree with this. Mm. And as I said, if, if, but unconscious bias, I think is huge. It's, it's, it's huge. There's a, a project in Cornwall that I've been looking at unconscious bias. And I've done some work with them and they're doing an online test, which is fascinating. And, I was, and that's made me think about the, the, the level of unconscious bias in the autistic world. What a person thinks the minute you mention the word autism, autistic, neurodivergent, what then they try and be cool. They try and be great. They try and walk the walk. Is that the right thing to say? Mm. But then unconsciously, because of preconceived messages from media and professionals over the decades, what is actually creeping in? What is actually creeping in from an unconscious bias viewpoint that suddenly changes how you interact with somebody? And mm. um, that does interest me a lot, the moment I must confess. Well, I, I would say that I, I think I experienced that early on. I went on lots of, because I realised early on I was interested in autism and working with young people with autism. I just I really enjoyed the work. Um, I, I get, I'm very easily bored and I just think the beauty of humanity is its diversity. The beauty yeah. of humanity is all the differences, all the things that people do differently from one another. But anyway, it's another, another There's topic. a saying, I'm a Star Trek geek as well, I'm a science fiction geek, but it's, what is it? It's, it's, it's from Vulcan and it's idic. I think it's called infinite, uh, it was infinite diversity from infinite combinations. Mm. Something like that. I should get this right, being a geek, shouldn't I? And I like that. And I think you're right, that diversity of the human species is something we should embrace, not box in one particular type of normal. Well, I'm, I think I'm, he's doing this a great disservice. I'm reading a book at the moment. I'm, I'm, my, my special interest, if you like, because um, we all have them. I, I, again, it's not as it's never as intense as it is for an autistic person, I'd imagine. But um, I'm really interested in prehistory. So I'm geeking out on prehistory. I'm reading a book called The Creative Spark by Augustine Fuentes. And he talks about because interestingly, people talk about human beings being differentiated by their social skills. It's not really that true. Chimpanzees will do social grooming. They will do almost mm. like, I call it talking about the weather. You know, people think talking about the weather and small talk is so sophisticated and human. No, chimps do it. They pick fleas off each other just to, to form relationships. But the thing that differentiates, differentiates us as a species is our creative spark, our ability to see things and do things differently and go, oh, okay, here's a rock. I'm going to put that on the end of something. Or here's a cave wall. I'm going to paint on it. 
Um, and, and I would argue, I would posit that the actual, the thing that makes the human brain, the human species so wonderful is neurodiversity, is actually the fact yeah. that we don't yeah. all think about things the same. Um, so I'm, I'm going to come back to that at a later date because I really want to... I mean, you go down mind. the road, you know, people say that retroactively people look up, is it Henry Ford, production line, everything in the same place. What have we got? Cars and production lines. Yeah, and you can go on from there. As you've got these videos on, on YouTube saying you know, these... This, this person is autistic, this person is autistic. It's that thinking outside the box, and it is that creativity. I like this. Mm. Um, you're going to have to send me the link to the book, please. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. This, this creativity is what has enabled us to grow as a species, and I hope to continue to grow as a species, yeah? You were talking to me about um, uh, bias, like, uh, what yeah, do you call yeah. it? Uh, like unconscious bias. Unconscious bias. And I think I, early on, I went on lots of courses about autism that, fed that unconscious bias i always thought i always talk about it now as like um they put a ceiling on stuff so autistic people can't won't you know yes don't and i'm a big believer in terminology i say this on every bit i do mainly because i find it funny i'm pleased with it but my analogy is would a rose by any other name smell as sweet well yes it would but if you called it a stinking ass you wouldn't sniff it in the first place the way that you talk about (laughs) changes how you approach it so if i'm saying if I'm saying this autistic person won't, then I'm less likely to even try and get them there. Exactly. So you've already, you've, you've limited their chances of getting there, even if they can or can't. So I went through that unconscious bias, but again, I was really fortunate to just work with such a variety of people on the autistic spectrum that it just made me go, oh, no, no, that's rubbish. And now I've had to get to a point professionally where another professional or another parent will go, um, well, he's autistic, and they'll sort of pause as if I'm going to go, oh, okay, oh, he's autistic, so he does this, this, and this then, does he? Yeah. And I just go, yeah, okay, what's he like? Yeah, yeah. What's he into? You know, what's he, you know, what's he doing? Like, what? <laughs> tell me about it. Don't just tell me he's autistic and expect me to know what that means. Because actually, it doesn't... I think the more you learn about autism, the more you realise you, you don't know as much about autism. Because it's so... No, I mean, I, you know, I'd, I'd grown up... I'd grown up. I'd grown up as a professional, let's say, which I'm really grateful for, in terms of learning, understanding. I've been very, very lucky to have other people who are more insightful professionals guide me along the way. That's not right. This isn't. This isn't human right. This isn't empathy. All the rest of it. You've got to work on that. You you can't do that. That's not fair. That's not accepted. Person who they are. People along the way. <clears throat> and now I've got a global autistic community that are going. I thought of this. Thought of that. Look at this. Look at that. And I'm going. Oh God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that. I really am. The unconscious bias at the moment, I'm fascinated by. And it came from that you can't be autistic. Mm. And what was going on in that person's mind was negative, 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 negative. And I'm thinking, okay. And as you said, training. Um, there is a, I mean, there's a lot of online training out there um, to tick the boxes for inclusive employers and so on. I uh, don't want to be rude, but a, a lot of that training is going to be really bad. Yeah. Really bad. Not just unconsciously biased. I would go as far as to say consciously biased. Would you, do you think, because I, I wonder if bad training is actually worse than no training? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I think that um, because then you've taught somebody to accept something that is absolutely 1,308% wrong. Yeah. And then you get, you know, oh, but I was told this. 
what's that passing the buck is that is that like milgram based stuff is that the guy in the white coat told me so it must be fine mm. no um yeah that's why i encourage people you know i did a a page um for, for basically individuals in Cornwall, which is about, look, if, you, if you're newly diagnosed or identified or self-identified, go here. Because there's nothing in the county at this moment in time, people are working on it. And it was basically autistic-led Facebook groups, organisations. Because if you suddenly leave with your bit of paper from a diagnostic viewpoint, identified, you're autistic. Yeah, cool. Where do I go next? And some parts of the, you know, some parts of the... I mean, I won't mention American organizations that aren't exactly autistic friendly and so on. Yeah. But some people, I mean, I'm going to say some people still light it up blue and, and, and I had to learn that I got educated about that. And when you look into it, Oh my God, it's terrible. Yeah. And, um, and, and you think, you know, for some individuals, where do I go next? And, and the autistic community, I now believe on the whole, because I'm good and bad, you know, on the whole, you know, great information, insightful information, but if you if you go to I mean somebody ran me the day they'd done an online course that was it was um, you know get eighty percent off um, try this online and she went God did this course I should have screenshot my God it was it was like pre nineteen eighty really? and yet it's been sold online as a you got the details we've emailed them it was sold online as a as a package for staff to use for staff development and yet it was it was horrendously medical model and yet an employer might go here you go and then what you've got is you've got unconscious bias with a huge amount of conscious bias mm. and then the person that they're working with or for being around existing alongside oh it's going to suffer all the more because of that it's interesting what you said about harry's post as well um i had some interest in that obviously and i i straight i was i was very brave about it or probably just impulsive as usual but I I just straight up asked when I had um, Molly, Harry and Chloe on the podcast, straight up asked, it's like, listen, should I piss off and get a milk rag? Because I'm not <laughs> autistic. So who am I to be delivering that course? And and they were very, they were very supportive about it. But and I did see Harry's post. Um, but I think actually, you know, ultimately there will be challenges if the, if, if the, if the ideal world is that everyone who works with autistic children and young people is taught by autistic adults. I'm for that. And I think there's places for people like myself to be a sort of conduit to that. Um, yeah, I work harder at being a conduit. You know, I, I, yeah, that's how I see it now is, is actually I can learn from autistic people about autism and then I can use my position and my skills in, if I have anything, I would say presenting and talking about stuff that I know and, and you know, for experience. So that's where I want to sit is this sort of conduit. But I can only do that if I'm always faithfully listening to yeah. those people. Um, the, the whole advocacy, the whole rights in terms of, of all those awesome different types of, of, of human beings that have been downtrodden through centuries. You've got to have, we need awesome, open, brilliant, superb, passionate advocates Otherwise, that's not right either, is it? That's not being inclusive either. No. So we, we develop together as a species, as a race, as a culture, as, a, as a, a, an entity of, 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 you know, homo sapiens et al. And, and, and that's so important. So I saw the post and thought, yeah, that's interesting. And, but 
we have to work together. So, so when I before I realized I was also autistic, I was saying, oh, go here, go here, go here, read his book, go to that YouTube clip. That's fantastic. Because I just learned mm. and, and got stuff. Um, and I've done that, I hope, for, 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 for many years when I, when I realized that the initial education I had was wrong. But um, I had a day. Um, but yeah, I think that working hand in hand is so, so, so important because, because then <clears throat> if you don't work hand in hand, are you not then dictating as well? Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, 100%. And having other voices involved in the mix is also really important because that is, is that not new diversity? It's not acceptance of, of neurodivergent individuals along with neurotypicals, all those words that I can't spell without spell check. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think that's really, really, really important. I think I should let you go, but this I would love absolutely lush. I'd love I think we could go on for hours, right? This has been brilliant. Mm. Um, and you know, the, I just, I, yeah, if we can, uh, maybe we'll talk about this off off the uh, the episode and, and things like that. But yeah, if there's any ways we can work together, anything we can do together, really, love yeah, it. would love to. We'll, we'll, we'll get in touch again. I've really, really enjoyed this. That this is lush. You are really awesome. You've got some brilliant <laughs> ideas. The book sounds gorgeous. Yes, and, um, that's that I'm going to do. So I don't I, I might not leave this in, but a little side plug. One of my side projects, I run a podcast on human prehistory called Bunch of Apes, which mm -hmm. is basically cool. me being a complete Luddite trying to learn about prehistory because I'm interested in it. But I've never I've never had the chance to study anything like it. Um, I used to like reading books by the Leakeys. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. very famous, yeah, 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 yeah. early African kind of... So I went I went for a passion of reading books about Lucy and the early yeah. Leakies. Do you know, once I was leaving Truro to go to Grandpa Road, where I lived, and I helped this American lady on the bus, mm -hmm. and she sat down, and I went, what are you doing? She says, I'm, I'm, I won't do the action. So I'm touring Britain, visiting places I know, and visiting my relatives. My family comes from Britain. And we got chatting, and I said, blah, blah, what are you doing? She goes, oh, and I'm an anthropologist. Oh, I went, wow. really? And I went, wow. I said, I just finished reading Lucy. And she went, I was on the dig. I went, what? Uh, I had the book with me. I would have got it autographed. She was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, right. Slightly older than me. And I was like, wow, that's like amazing. She went, oh, yeah. Well, I was working with such a Daliki and, and, and their son and what. And I'm like, wow. You know, and I thought that is really cool. Yeah, because that's Send me the, the, the details fine. of your podcast and stuff on email. That'd be lush. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, the reason I mentioned it is the guy that wrote The Creative Spark, Augustin Fuentes, he, he's going to come on and do an episode with me. And I think I'm going to talk to him about neurodiversity as that creativity. Tigger, it's been an absolute pleasure. Tell people where they can find I'm, you. I'm just on a business course with um, Digital Polinsula Network because my business oh, yeah. stopped. I've got to go on to Zoom. My whole business, Confidence of it stopped dead at lockdown. Really? I'm now Mr. Universal Credit. Yeah, it just stopped dead. Unbelievably so, it just stopped dead. I'm getting back there again slowly. Okay. And... Um, and I'm on this course, and one of the things they said was, you've got to plug yourself. And I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so right. I'd made some notes on my phone before this, and I'd said to myself, mention the autism coffee shop, mention the videos. And when I was mentioning them, I was thinking, God, I hate doing this. But my business manager yesterday said, you've got to. No, Wednesday said, you've got to. You've got to be honest about what you do, otherwise people will never find you. So I will we'll shamelessly plug who I am and, and just put it on the, how you want to do it, on the, you know, the... The, the autism coffee shop and ticker training those are the ticker two training. best ones really and you're the first person of late you've asked me about my name 
Um, I've done a few things, a few podcasts. You're the first one that went, oh, he tells about your name. And I thought, my God, nobody's asked me that for ages. So thank you for that. That's all right. That's true. Well, my, like I say, my son Arthur's a very big fan of, of his Tigger doll. So he likes to bounce that one around. So, <laughs> Oh, I've got, I've got one over there. I don't think you can see. Yeah, there. Oh, lovely. Lovely. And that I actually gave to my daughter when she was two. So that is almost 20 years old. Um, I want to get some replaceable batteries for it. I would love to chat to you again. I am on a real journey of exploration here. Some of your questions are really cool. Something that popped into my head when you were talking, and I just thought I'd love to do that with Tigger. Um, you talked about exploring attitudes to neurodiversity in different cultures. Yeah. And I wondered if we could maybe start off by just meeting again sometime to discuss it and maybe separate out and just say, well, you have a look at these, I'll have a look at that. Yeah, I think there are some studies out there. I, I, I yes, no, I'd love to do that. Be interesting. Um, to do. I don't know how we do it quite yet. We might need to like figure out who we can talk to in different cultures. And but I know what's I, interesting I, is, is this country isn't just your white British. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Big, I'm yeah. Welsh. There's Celts. There's I was brought up in Wolverhampton. I went to school. I was in a minority because of my colour. Mm. You know, so and had awesome mates from Wolverhampton and stuff. So, you know, there's 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 the, the whole mix in Britain. Um, you know, there's and I mean, there's friends I'm talking to abroad where they're you know they're saying that their their whole cultural viewpoint is that this should be fixed. Mm. You know, one person said to me that they know of somebody who sent their child to a special finishing school in Switzerland to fix them. Mm. And you think, oh, you know. Um, and the kind of, I mean, you, like, you know, autism conversion therapies, yeah? Mm. So to speak, and you think, and they exist. They exist, which is like, oh, my God, they exist. Should we do this, Tigger? Should we, should, should we say that the next time we do, we'll do a podcast or however you want to do it, you can put it on the coffee shop, whatever we, we choose to do, maybe on exploring attitudes to neurodiversity yes. in, around the world, around the yes. globe. Yes, if yes, you have yes, a global yes. world tour. That'd be brilliant. That'd be lush. Mm. Maybe someone somewhere will pick it up and give us a massive budget for going around the world, but you won't want to go. So I'll just get to go right. I can just report back to you. So it worked well for me. Do, do you know that that bit about when I went to Nepal? It, lots of strange things happened by by fate. The universities went, you got to go, mate. Off you go, bye. And but I like Paddington. I'd laminated my itinerary and flights and everything and i had it on a piece of, of old climbing stuff and it was shoved down my t-shirt and every so i'd get it out and airport. you could see people looking at me it was like you know i'm, I'm a lost paddington bearers me yeah and i was going about that flight that flight that flight that flight that flight right okay back down it goes and and i'd never traveled so far in my life mm. I, and that's the first i've ever traveled and i did love it the flights were long got to wish i'd known about noise reduction headphones then i didn't yeah. Um, but um oh but yeah no well, again though isn't it because i've never been to an airport in the last five years without having all my flights my itinerary on my phone if i get off at the airport and stare at my phone no one bats an eyelid where you get out and take your little tag with your laminated culturally thing. acceptable yeah everyone's yeah, yeah. and so, so so the stimming i'm exploring at the moment and the masking i'm about to explore big time is is again um, where autistic individuals are forced to be a certain way mm. and then pay that price when they get into their own environment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then 
you know, stress levels, anxiety, etc. Boom, uh, shutdown, meltdowns, boom. Um, and that's interesting me a lot moment because I've, I've now I can see a pattern going back a lot of decades where I've I have sh- I've had shutdowns mm. where I've, I've removed myself from humanity almost because I've I've just had too much. Um, and a lot of people talk about that on the net, and I'm interested in exploring that as well. But you're right, the, the culturally acceptable stuff, you know, it's 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 like I don't know, I'm trying to find analogies and I'm really bad at them. It's like it's like you going somewhere and people dictating that you have to wear the most grotesque coloured clothes, maybe that you don't like, that smell, that itch, all the rest of it, but you won't be allowed into that function unless you wear those clothes. That's what I think it's beginning to feel like sometimes is. And that's why that, that that friend that said to me, God, you're one of the best actors. My my, my partner's an actor and she's awesome. And my friend said to me, oh, this is great because you, you're going to be brilliant because you're the best actor I've ever met. And I just didn't think about it at the time. Now I look back at it and I've gone, oh, mm. he knows me well too. And I think he realised that I have different personas and I'll steal things from people. And I'll become that person in a certain environment because I know that kind of person works in that kind of social situation. So I've learned it over the years. I'm exploring that one big time. I'm going to steal your analogy and build on it because I, I like that. It's like you, like you, you have to go to it. You won't, can't get into this function without wearing these really uncomfortable, itchy, horrible clothes that just put, they're just so horrible to wear, like grating on your skin, painful to wear. But you have to imagine that if you don't get into that function, your opportunities just go. Oh, yeah. Nice one. That, nice that function yeah. Yeah. is life, yeah. isn't it, really? Because, you know, if, if you find social interaction hard because you've got to conform, social interaction is people are everywhere. We're all over the bloody place, aren't we? It's not you, you, if you go to school, you go to school with people. If you go to yeah. work, most of the time, there'll be people there. So, yeah, that that level of conformity of not being yourself of not being free to be yourself of anxiety about not being allowed to be yourself. that's all the bloody time isn't it if you're in the wrong yeah position. yeah and then i i I've, I've, i was chatting to someone the other night and uh, she was saying about how incredibly painful it is mm. um and that's holding down jobs because each job she's been forced to dress a certain way, to behave a certain way. And, and like you said, I, I was so stressed, I didn't care who looked at me with my laminated itinerary, because if I didn't have that, I was in trouble, yeah? Because I thought, what if the battery goes on the phone? And I had backup chargers and a solar panel, yeah? Um, but I thought, what if the battery goes on the phone? I've got to have it, you know. It's, so it's great having the technology. I like the old-fashioned backup stuff as well, yeah? So, but I, but I, I remember somebody looking at me, I'm just thinking, tough. And all, almost saying, this is what I need. I, I, you may stare at me, feel free, ask me questions if you want, but this is what I need at this moment in time and I'm using it. Otherwise, I am really, really in trouble. And I think that, you know, so many individuals go through that in so many different ways. Do you know, it should, it should be, I go, God, sorry, we've done a lot of sort of big idea. No, this is brilliant. Why can't we live in a world where you go, even if you say to someone, oh, um, why is it you're doing that? And they go, it just makes me feel better. If that thing isn't hurting anyone, that's all you need to know, really. And, and I, so I, I'm not. I'm not trying to say there shouldn't be labelling. I don't want people to think that because I know lots of people with, um, you know, use autism, use different 
labels as a, a, a way of identifying. I'm not trying to take that away by yeah. any means, but I do wish we could live in a world where they don't have people don't have to say that they're autistic for it to be accepted. They can just say, "I need this. It makes me feel better," and people go, "Okay." Yeah, it's that thing about, I mean, somewhere genetically, prehistory-wise, there has to be a DNA reason as to why difference is a threat. And is that natural yeah. selection, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you could go there, yeah? So is that in the core of our brains with a degree to if somebody is different from what we perceive as normal, for some individuals, is that then a threat? Go on, go on. Just, so I mentioned Bunch of Apes, Um which I wasn't going to do on this podcast, I'd probably get in trouble with work. But um, there's an episode with a guy called Bernie Taylor who talks a lot about cave art. And we we went off on this tangent because it was like our worlds collided because he is dyslexic and he's a very visual thinker. Mm. And he was talking about a time back in our sort of um, evolutionary development when being a visual thinker, being someone that saw shapes and objects and could <clears throat> be artistic would have been a bigger benefit. And now the, the swing in the last, say, couple of thousand years as such, or 10, five, 10,000 years, has been towards production. And production is about putting people onto an assembly line that all think the same ways. Yeah. Because then you can manage the community easily <clears throat> in position of power. But actually, probably for much more of our human existence, neurodiversity has probably been more valuable than anything else because again you know that if, if you're in three different communities of people that where most of them all think the same way about stuff and then the environment changes so like the there's not as it's colder or a certain species of animal doesn't live there anymore you need someone that's thinking differently about things you need someone that goes yeah. well hang on I, I i love to wander 17 i love to do my ten thousand steps a day and it just so happens i've seen a herd of other animals we can eat over there because yeah. of my obsessive walking ten thousand steps a day um so yeah it's so listen to that episode is what, what i was kind of i will about. thank you yeah he's he's interesting um i don't know where i was going with that right as much as anything tigger people will notice on the recording i'm getting more and more fidgety um and no, it's not some sort of undiagnosed ADHD, although that has been said. I need a wee. So <laughs> well, actually, actually, I, I've just drunk all of that. <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna be there soon then. Tigger. Like, <laughs> just to summarize, thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. If anyone's listened, liked, please share, please like, leave reviews and stuff. It really helps. It helps me encourage more fantastic guests like Tigger to come on. And, and uh, am I supposed to do a bit about autism coffee shop? which might change its name soon, but Autism Coffee Shop and www.tiggertraining.com. Hey. Just put Tigger in Google or Tigger Pritchard in Google and I'm there with some horrible pictures, but I'm there. <laughs> They're not horrible at all. If, you, if, you're, if you're listening to a recording, Tigger's not as horrible as he's making out. Thank you. Got a lovely round head. <laughs> <laughs> which is always lit. I'm going to sort out my lights here, but there's ping... I'm still sort of a lighting system, which is a real pain. Apparently, halo lights I've heard for podcasts or like video pods. They make you look really. Is that and one? There's one in the case? I've got. Oh, I'm just not. Oh. I'm, I'm a gadget guy, so I've got everything you should have. And I'm lovely. I just throw hair all over my face to cover up all of the shocks and lumps on it. So, you know. <laughs> all right. 
Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank um, you. Thank you. Everybody for listening. Thank you so much for this. I, we could go on for hours, and I hope we will again. But thank you so much, man. It's been lush.